Hello, and welcome to the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Larson, owner of TudorsDynasty.com. Welcome to the show. For those who are new to my podcast, I take a minute at the beginning of every show to thank the people who have been generous enough to donate and become patrons to keep this show going. This week, I'd like to thank Sari, Suke, Johanna, Doris, Courtney, Anastasia, Anna, Bob, Peggy, Diana, Christopher, Rachel D., Michelle, Lacey, Diane, Kathy, Christine, Katie, Joy, James, Anne, Azaria, Lisa, Nora, Sarah, Wendy, Mary, Cynthia, Melissa S., Nicole, Mary, Cheryl, Carrie, Heather with the English Renaissance History Podcast, Tanya, Donna, Catherine, Jen, Lara, Megan, Melissa C., and Pat B. Now, before we start this episode, I do need to take a minute to talk a bit about the show. If you're new to my podcast and you found me on iTunes, you are missing out on a bunch of episodes that came before I integrated with iTunes. If you're interested in listening to all of them, you can go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tutors Dynasty and click on posts. I also have a link to them on TutorsDynasty.com in the menu. If you find me on iTunes, I'd also love to see some more five-star ratings and comments there. The more reviews, the higher I will be on the recommendation list for other tutor lovers. Without all of your support, I wouldn't be able to continue with all these podcasts, so I cannot thank you enough. It's not only my podcast that you support, but also my website. All the money received from patrons like you goes right back into the show, the cost of running the website, and research materials, including subscriptions to those hidden or hard-to-find documents and books. Believe it or not, I do have a full-time day job, and this is something that I do in my ever-decreasing downtime. Creating a podcast can easily take 15 hours, something that my husband might not be too keen about, but it's my passion and he supports me. If you'd like to become a patron of my podcast, you can go to Patreon. Again, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tutors Dynasty and click become a patron. For as little as a dollar per month, you can show your supports. With that, this episode could not have happened without the wonderful guidance of Susan Abernathy in her website, The Freelance History Writer. Susan is also the admin for the Facebook page called Tutor History Lovers. If you haven't already liked it, be sure to go over and like it. Okay, so let's get on with the show. Sit back, relax, and prepare to be transported back in time to Tudor England. On my Facebook page, it's called Tudor's Dynasty if you're not familiar, I asked my followers who they believe to be the most influential women of the Tudor era. It's because of this poll that I decided to turn this into a series of episodes and articles about some amazing Tudor women. Before I start, let's understand exactly what influential truly means. When I took this poll, I felt like a lot of people were just voting as a popularity contest and not truly understanding what I was trying to get at with influential. So the definition of influential is having great influence on someone or something. Now that we know the definition of the word, does that change our ideas about who we believe were some of the most influential women of the Tudor period? When I posted this question on my blog and took a poll, the winner was, with 35% of the votes, Queen Elizabeth I. No surprise there. Followed by her great-grandmother, Margaret Beaufort, with 27%. And rounding off the top three was Elizabeth's mother, Anne Boleyn, with 19%. I honestly was not too surprised by these results. 
Since I've already done a six-part series on Elizabeth, I decided to do this episode on Margaret Beaufort, someone who many of you have requested that I talk more about. So I did a little research, and uh, here we go. Let's talk about Margaret Beaufort. Authors like Philippa Gregory have not done Margaret the justice that she deserves. While Gregory used to be one of my favorite historical authors, I do agree with many that her dislike for Beaufort is evident in her books. Margaret lived quite an amazing life. Born on the 31st of May, 1443, Margaret was the daughter of John Beaufort, 1st Duke of Somerset, and Margaret Beauchamp. Margaret's father was the grandson of the well-known John of Gaunt and his mistress, whom later he married, Catherine Swinford. Margaret was married several times, not unusual for the time. Her first marriage, which may have only been a betrothal, was around 1450. Margaret was merely six or seven years old, and she wed John de la Pole. Pole's father was the Earl of Suffolk, and he had arranged the marriage. Whether or not there was an actual marriage is unclear, but Margaret was returned to her mother, and it's agreed that the marriage was never consummated. However, when the Earl of Suffolk was disgraced in 1450, their marriage, or betrothal, was voided. It was as if this marriage never happened, and later in life, Margaret never considered him as one of her husbands. That same year, Edmund and Jasper Tudor were granted her wardship by their half-brother, King Henry VI. Before I go forward, for those unfamiliar with their genealogy, the King, Edmund, and Jasper all share the same mother, Catherine of Valois. Catherine was the wife of King Henry V, and they had a son, Henry, who became the sixth King Henry upon the death of his father and predecessor. Catherine, still young, not quite 21, and stunningly beautiful, fell in love with Owen Tudor, a member of her household. They may have secretly wed, now there is no evidence available to prove a marriage, but we do know that they were the parents of Edmund and Jasper Tudor. Are you following along? Some have speculated that Henry VI planned the wardship of 1453 so that one of his half-brothers could wed Margaret, who was a surviving member of the House of Lancaster. Two years later, in 1455, Margaret, then 12 years old, married Edmund, who was 22, and the Earl of Richmond. Even though Margaret was only 12 at the time of their marriage, the marriage was consummated and Margaret soon became pregnant. Now, Margaret was just a child by today's standards and physically, she most definitely was still very petite. In August of 1456, while Margaret was pregnant with his child, Edmund Tudor was captured by an ally of the Duke of York and imprisoned. He died three months later of the plague at Carmarthen Castle. After the death of her husband, the heavily pregnant 13-year-old girl placed herself under the protection of Jasper Tudor, her brother-in-law, at Pembroke Castle, the place where her son, named for King Henry VI, was born at the end of January 1457. Now, shall we briefly discuss the Wars of the Roses? The Wars of the Roses were civil wars fought in England and Wales between the houses of York and Lancaster between 1455 and 1485 and most definitely ended with the Battle of Bosworth in 1485 when the army of Henry Tudor, the future Henry VII, the Tudor King, the first one, killed Richard III. In my opinion, the battles began when King Henry VI could no longer rule his country due to his health condition. What was his condition? 
I took this quote from the website henrythesixth.com. Quote, the great disorder or illness that struck down King Henry in August 1453 and kept him in what appears to have been a catatonic stupor for over a year. The causes are still not known to modern medicine. Most modern diagnosis of the king's illness tentatively identify it as catatonic schizophrenia. Henry's maternal grandfather, King Charles VI of France, suffered from recurring severe bouts of madness, during which he became dangerously violent and did not recognize his wife or the fact that he was king. End quote. When Henry VI was having one of his bouts was about the time that Richard, Duke of York, who was the father of Edward IV and Richard III, began to fight for what he believed was his rightful place on the throne of England. Anyway, I digress. Let's come back to Margaret. At 13 years old, the birth of her son had been hard on the young woman's body. It's believed that Margaret suffered permanent damage from childbirth and would have no other children. For the first year of Henry's life, Margaret remained at Pembroke with her brother-in-law. She had asked Jasper for assistance in finding her a second husband. Finally, an agreement was made and Margaret married the Duke of Buckingham's son, Henry Stafford, in January of 1458. After the wedding, young Henry stayed in the custody of his uncle Jasper and Margaret and her husband made regular visits. Unfortunately, their happiness would not last long when in 1461, Edward, Earl of March, became King Edward IV. Margaret's son's wardship was sold to a Yorkist supporter, Lord Herbert, and luckily for Margaret, she was still able to schedule regular visits to see her son. When she could not see him, she would send letters to Lord Herbert asking about her son's well-being. Now, the Battle of Barnett in April 1471 was a game changer for Margaret and her family. Her husband was wounded and had to return home due to his injuries. Less than a month later, there was another Yorkist victory at the Battle of Tewkesbury. It was at Tewkesbury that Henry VI's wife, Margaret of Anjou, was defeated and their son Edward was killed. Roughly a week after the Battle of Tewkesbury, Henry VI, who had been locked in the tower, was killed or murdered. Because of the death of Henry VI, Margaret Beaufort and her son held the strongest claim to the English throne on the Lancastrian side. Because of those claims, young Henry's life was in danger as he posed a threat to Edward IV and the House of York. Because of that, Jasper Tudor fled England with Henry and they ended up in Brittany. Six months after he sustained his injuries at the Battle of Barnett, Margaret's second husband, Henry Stafford, died, most likely from his wounds. Margaret, a Lancastrian with rights to the throne, was in danger without a husband during the reign of the Yorkist, Edward IV. Eight months after the death of her second husband, Margaret married for a third time to Thomas Stanley, Earl of Derby. With Stanley's influence and position at court, Margaret was able to protect her land and wealth, but Stanley, as her husband, would now have access to it all. So it benefited him in the long run. Since her new husband was tight with King Edward IV, both Stanley and Margaret did spend time at court. It does not appear, however, that their marriage was necessarily a happy one. That's not so unusual for marriages during this time because they were arranged and they didn't necessarily happen because of love. While at the court of Edward IV, Margaret tried everything in her power to return her son to favor. It wasn't until 1476 that she gained favor with the queen consort, Elizabeth Woodville, and six years later, Margaret was given the honor of holding Princess Bridget at her christening. After ingratiating herself with the king and queen, she was able to persuade Edward IV to allow her son Henry to return to England. Part of the deal was that they also had discussed a marriage between their daughter, the Princess Elizabeth, and Henry Tudor. Unfortunately, before the deal could be finalized, Edward IV died. Henry could not yet return to England because it was not safe. 
Margaret and her son were once again thrown into political uncertainty with the reign of the new young King Edward V. Because of the young king's youth, his uncle and protector, Richard of Gloucester, had the children of his brother, Edward IV, and Elizabeth Woodville declared illegitimate. Now, this was due to a marriage between the deceased king and Eleanor Butler prior to his marriage to Woodville. The next in line to the throne after Edward's children was, you called it, Richard. He then became Richard III. Richard did not have an easy time of it. There were many who believed what he had done was completely unacceptable, especially Elizabeth Woodville, and they would do whatever it took to remove the usurper. This was about the time that Margaret Beaufort and the Dowager Queen Elizabeth Woodville began to discuss more seriously a marriage between their children. This marriage would benefit both parties, and the two women were eager to see it come to fruition. Richard III at the time was not sure who he could trust. I mean, it was really his own fault. Did he truly believe that his nieces and nephews were illegitimate? Or did he just use it as an excuse for his ambition? Since Richard did not know for sure if Stanley, the husband of a Lancastrian heir, would be loyal to him, he imprisoned him for a short while. Once Stanley had declared his support for Richard III, he was released. Surprisingly, both Stanley and Margaret took part in the coronation of Richard and his consort, Anne Neville. Margaret had gained enough favor that she carried the queen's train in the coronation. Henry was constantly on Margaret's mind. All she wanted for her son was to regain his titles and lands that were stripped from him when Edward IV came to the throne. In addition, she wished for her son to return to England after years in exile. With the help of her nephew, Henry Stafford, second Duke of Buckingham, and Elizabeth Woodville, Margaret felt confident that her son could return to England and fight for the crown. When Richard III discovered the plot to remove him from the throne, the Duke of Buckingham was apprehended and executed. Margaret's life was spared, only because of her husband's loyalty to the king, but she was attained for treason by Parliament and sentenced to life in prison, which was really house arrest. Her goods and lands were also confiscated by the crown. Even though Margaret was under house arrest, she was still able to keep in contact with her son. By the summer of 1485, Henry was on his way to England with his uncle Jasper and troops. It was the Battle of Bosworth that changed the course of history when the troops of Henry Tudor, along with the help of his stepfather, defeated and killed. Richard III. Henry Tudor became King Henry VII of England when Richard III took his last breath and his army was defeated. Margaret, at least for the moment, could breathe a sigh of relief. She was released from her house arrest and obviously got back her goods and lands, and after 14 years apart, the mother and son were reunited. With her son back in England and now king, the marriage that she had planned with Elizabeth Woodville happened on the 18th of January, 1486, about two months after his coronation. This marriage combined together the houses of York and Lancaster, effectively ending the Wars of the Roses. From day one on Henry's reign, Margaret was by her son's side. He had been away from England for over a decade, and she was able to offer him advice on politics when he needed. Margaret also played an important role in Henry's new reign as she assisted in many matters, including ceremonies and special commissions. I love this next part. Due to her new position as the king's mother, Margaret was able to gain independence from her husband. This allowed her to have sole claim to all her property and land. Almost unheard of back then. Go Margaret. Margaret may have also been a mother-in-law from hell. Poor Elizabeth of York, who had been raised to marry one day and become a consort, was overshadowed by Margaret, who essentially acted like she was queen. When it came to her grandchildren, Margaret was delighted. She is said to have had a very special relationship with her grandson, Henry. 
From Susan Abernethy and her website, thefreelancehistorywriter.com, quote, in her later years, Margaret made significant religious, educational, and literary contributions. She became a patron and benefactor of two colleges at Cambridge University, end quote. Margaret would just barely outlive her son, Henry VII, who died in April of 1509. She was able to witness the wedding of her grandson, Henry, to Catherine of Aragon, and then the dual coronation. Margaret passed away on the 29th of June, 1509, only five days after Henry's coronation. After years of upheaval and struggles, Margaret Beaufort could finally rest in peace, knowing that the Tudor name would be carried on through her grandson, Henry VIII. Little did she know how it would all play out. The Tudor dynasty reigned 118 years. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. Until next time.